are in the midst of a highly effective pagan ritual inside the witch house. We've been able to capture spirit voices through our highly sensitive spirit box. We believe these voices belong to the victims of the infamous Salem witch trials. What is your name? Bridget! Bridget. It just said Bridget! Did you hear that? Bridget, what is your last name? Bishop! Bridget Bishop was the first person to be executed during the witch trials of 1692. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. All right. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again for episode four of Canary Cry Radio. I want to give a shout out to all our uh, friends from Twitter who are clicking in from there. All of our friends from Facebook, uh, if you're clicking in from YouTube, um, just want to say hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in again. Um, if it's your first time, uh, welcome. Um, I'm Basil. And I'm Gons. And yeah, we just want to say what's up to everybody. If you're coming in from, uh, again, all those different sectors, we just want to give oh, you guys a shout out. Revelation Radio Network. Network. Revelation Radio Network. You guys are awesome. And uh, we were prompted to do tonight's show uh, after a message we got from Matt in Columbus, Ohio. And um, he basically sent this awesome message to us. uh, And we have his permission to read it. So I'm going to read this. He says, uh, Hi, um, could you guys like, you know, hurry up and do some more episodes? Future Quake is over, and PID doesn't seem to be doing very many episodes these days, and I need to listen to podcasts. So <laughs> if you guys could, like, you know, step it up a few notches and make some more episodes, that'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> so we, we love that. So we were like, Matt, right, you Matt. know what? We're going to do it because you inspired us to put it together. And we were actually planning to do one earlier today anyway, which uh, kind of fell apart. But um Hopefully we'll but have here we are. Yeah, hopefully we'll have more um you know, episodes more often cuz we're we're our goal is once a week but you know. And you know, so everybody happen. make sure to thank Matt. Yeah, well, thank Matt from Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Um but yeah, we want to actually talk about a couple different things today that uh um well, we're going to get into ghosts, so that'll be fun. Uh we're also going to talk about Sispa the new, the big bad CISPA, yeah, the, the new SOPA, and so uh, everybody needs to know what that's about, what to look out for, and what to do about it. Yeah, and we'll dive into those things. But the first kind of thing um, that I wanted to jump into is um, I made a movie called Age of Deceit, Fallen Angels, and the New World Order, and um, I made that last summer. It was released on uh, September, I think, 25th was the actual day when I posted it on YouTube, uh, the full length. Um, but uh, it's gotten quite a bit of views and, and a lot of responses. And some of it has been good. Some of it has been bad. Uh, but recently, it's been really negative for some reason. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to just talk about one comment I got, which was really kind of funny. And... Um, Basically, this guy came out and, and wrote a comment. It was on uh, top documentary films, and uh, my film was on there for, I don't know, a week or something. Um, but 
basically this guy says, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it verbatim, but, uh, he said, here's why the new world order is going to be awesome. <laughs> and he laid out three arguments, which are kind of weak. But the first one is, um, because people can't live with, without order, you know, this, this new world order is going to kind of help us become peaceful, you know? And, you know, he talks about power struggles are never good. And because, you know, if there's a unified order, there won't be a power struggle. Hence, it'll be a good thing. And the second thing he said was uh, kind of the same thing. He says under one ruler, there can be peace, you know, and he says it's kind of failed in the past, but now, you know, now that we have technology and communication and all this stuff, uh, you know, uh, basically a dictatorship, you know, well, one ruling person or government is going to be successful. It can actually create peace. Uh, and the yeah. last point he made was, you know, a police state is nothing new. It's not a bad thing. You know, there's always rebels in society. We need to keep him in check. So, you know, Oy. this guy <laughs> hurts my soul, man. <laughs> so, so what do you think? Do you think um, the new world order is going to be a positive thing? Like this guy thinks, Oh my gosh. I mean, reading this guy's comments and seeing his points, it's just makes me a little bit sad. Um, <laughs> these are the things, you know, that he brings up. First of all, I, you know, he, like all people who are confused, they start out with, you know, a truth and then twist it into something that is completely, you know, just a, just a bold faced lie. Number one, people cannot live without order. Yes and no. Humans, we need order. That's how we, that's how we operate. That's how we are created. We are um, order in one way or another is part of the human condition. I, you know, I can't argue with them there. Um, the, there are so many good things about order, uh, you know, and, a, and a, a good governing class and not even class, but a good governance and things like this. And that's what we thrive on. We thrive on order. So thank right. you, Poster, for that. But there's just too much involved in a one world government to just say like, all right, we're all one people now. This is cool. Right. You know, with the different cultures, with different, uh, it's just everything around the world. The, the world is such a beautiful canvas of different cultures and things like that. When you put it all under one power, stru or power structure, you completely start to erase things. Because with a one world government comes, you know, one economy, one language, one set of holidays, one set, you know, everything becomes one. And you lose this beautiful tapestry that has been the human race for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And it's just it, – that is just at a very moral level on my side, just very sad to hear people saying that that's going to be a good thing. And, yeah. you know, power struggles are just a part of life. Yeah. Um, and that's – who's to say that one government is going to get rid of power struggles? That just makes no sense. In every government in the entire history of the human race, there's been power struggles within one exactly. government. Exactly. That's, that's kind of a really big point of a power struggle doesn't necessarily have to be between two governments. And, and seldom it is. It's actually more within a structured system rather than – Exactly. There's, I mean, Caesar was the most powerful man of his time and got stabbed to death by his <laughs> right. own people. That right there just shows the, there's no 
it, there's no structure and no support to this uh, comment that he or right. this point that he's making, and it's just you, you know you just start to wonder the mental condition of these people <laughs> if they come up with these sort well, of points. My, and a lot of times I get accused of like, oh, you're just pushing your religious, you know, propaganda. This is just Christian propaganda and all this stuff. And, you know, ultimately, no, that's not what I'm trying to do because the main point I was trying to make, and, I, and I've responded to these people, I've tried to at least on several occasions, is that, um, and I'm going to repeat this probably several times throughout the course of Canary Cry Radio and just in conversations with people, is that it's not a system problem. It's not a governmental, ecclesiastical, right. uh, ec- economical. It's it's not a systematic issue that we're facing. It's right. it's a human heart issue. It's and and what the Christian worldview calls it's a sin issue. And so what what we face is that no matter what we have systematically or structurally as government or as a ruling power or system or class or whatever if the human heart isn't right, it's always going to have issues. And so we can have a one world government that appears to be peaceful, but ultimately someday, somehow, some way it's going to start failing and falling apart from the inside right. because of our nature well, of being selfish and our exactly, nature of Exactly. That's, that's the human condition is this, this drop into chaos that just inevitably happens. Right. So to say that a one world government is going to just make the whole world a utopia is just ugh, it's just nonsense yeah it's sad but you know people are gonna have opinions and that's okay i'm okay with people expressing their hatred towards the film or you know i got a lot of like it's better to watch grass grow for two and a half hours and like <laughs> you'll gain more insight and not you know whatever so you know if you guys haven't but, checked and, it and- out you can watch the movie oh go ahead yeah, make sure to go to YouTube and check out the movie Age of Deceit. Um, and just one last thing on that one point is that, uh, I mean, just the very fact that we can have different opinions from him is a beautiful part of us not having a one world government right now. Exactly. Because you know, and this will segue into one of his last points, which was the police state, right. is that along with a one world government, there's so much control to keep that under control. The leaders of this you know, up and coming new world order know that the only way to make this work is to control the very minds and the very, um, the very thoughts of these people, of of the people of the world at that time. And that's nothing new. They've been getting into our heads since, you know, for a hundred years. Yeah. And so, you know, the very fact that we are able to have the freedom to have different opinions and, our thoughts are not considered crimes against the, you know, the one world government. That's a beautiful thing about the state of the world right now that we can all be thankful for. Which and, could uh, be in jeopardy if we start talking about the next our, our CISPA thing here. Oh, precisely. Um, and and one last thing before we move on to that was that his his thing about the police state being nothing new and it's not a bad thing and there's rebels that we need to force and keep them in check. This person. Just look back in history. Every police state that has ever existed has t- gone down in flames. Yeah. The Roman Empire is a perfect example of the police state. You know, that when you push people and you take away enough freedoms, it doesn't matter how powerful you are. Things will fall and things will burn. I mean, look at the Arab Spring right now. That has been the, the prime example of a police state in the modern world taken to an extreme. And here they are. 
in one season, they have, you know, all managed to up, um, rise up against their governments, fight the police, and uh, at a huge, huge cost, at a huge cost. But you see the videos and you see the pictures of these people who have, who have lost family members and they've been beaten and shot and everything. And you see the pictures of them and they are weeping with joy that they have finally overthrown, you know, their current police state. So to say that a police state is not a bad thing is just a slap in the face to everybody who has just fought for their lives in the Arab Spring. And, um, yeah, it's always, it's always a good idea until it affects you. So exactly. And so we'll see what he thinks later on. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll take, we'll take that and we'll segue over into CISPA, big bad CISPA. That's C I S P A. You can call it KISPA if you want, but we're (laughs) going to call it CISPA here. Now, a few episodes ago or, um, in the past few episodes, we've talked about SOPA SOPA was the big, bad um, internet um, freedom uh, bill that was trying to be passed. And, you know, everybody banded together, Google and Wikipedia and the whole internet rose up against this um, this very oppressive and, you know, very corporate-minded law. And, uh, I mean, that was a huge win for the people of the internet. I mean, we can all, you know jump for joy about that but you know it's very short-lived as it usually is right. and now we have this new build called CISPA um, which you know as we could have expected and as a lot of people predicted they've now twisted SOPA into now it is not a bill protecting corporations it's no longer protecting um, or it's no longer under the the pretense of protecting corporations and copyright laws and things like that. Now they've segued it um, to, or transitioned it into a much more serious, serious uh, offense being um, national cybersecurity. Right. Um, Right. And which is just, you know, shows how desperate they are to uh, get this across. So now what they've done and we'll post some links for you to take a look at it. I mean, you can all, you've probably all heard about it and, you know, have done your own research. But um, we'll just read a little bit of, <clears throat> read a little bit of it here. Um, the bill describes a threat, basically, as vulnerability of or threat to a system or network of government to, or private entity including information pertaining to the protection of a system or network from either efforts to degrade, disrupt, destroy such systems or network, or theft or misappropriation of private or government information, intellectual property, or personal um, identifiable information. That could be anything. Exactly. Right in the title. How do you define that? You don't. Exactly. It's just, it's the same um, tactic that they've been using for ACTA and and PIPA and SOPA and all these things is they leave it vague enough so that whoever's interpreting the law at that time can decide which crime um, is affected under this. Now, originally, CISPA is, it's called the Cyber Intelligence Sharing and Protection Act. And um, the, uh, the, the main reason for this uh, the bill's HR 3523, if you're interested in looking it up. 
is to provide um, the sharing of cyber threat intelligence and and information between um, the private intelligence sector and you know cybersecurity and the government cybersecurity. You know, so it's it's meant to be this this uh, gateway for private entities and the government and everybody to sort of all fight this sort of uh, threat together. But again, right in the middle of what the thing is supposedly meant for, government infor- <laughs> the protection of government information and personally identifiable information is right there. Intellectual property referring to the uh, private entities. Yeah, and, and so it, right there, yeah. And what, what's really kind of scary about this whole thing is the fact that, you know, Facebook, Microsoft, IBM, Oracle, Intel, AT&T, Verizon, all these guys, allegedly, according to this one article that I can link up, that we'll link up to uh, uh, in the show notes, has already sent their support for CISPA uh, to Congress, saying that, oh, we support this, we you know, because it, these big... Uh, social media and and technology industry companies they see it as a good thing because it's protecting their product in a sense um, right they see it as the the gaining the exact same protection that they were looking for under sopa right yet now it's hidden in this um government minded bill and so they're hoping to just slip right in i mean you look at the advocacy groups on here and it's it's just all the same people and so that's that's where you know that um, you need to look out for it. Now, just so everybody knows, if you're wondering what you can do or what you need to look out for, there um, is a petition going around. I'm sure a lot of you have already seen a petition against this uh, um, this bill, and it's by a uh, organization avaaz.org, avaz.org. They have a petition. Go there. Um, and sign it. We'll be posting the link in the show notes. So I recommend for the safety of our freedom on the internet, please go sign that, send it to your friends and um, uh, make sure that that thing explodes. Yeah, it's, be- it's really important. This could be the beginning of the end of things like YouTube, uh, streaming music, um, right. you know, anything that's on the internet that has you know, the, the free open internet that we have now, and we've talked about this before is kind of what it's going to look like. And, and this very much could be what it looks like because, you know, under the, the guise of stopping cyber crime, um, we don't know what's being labeled as a crime, uh, according to the government. And, and what you mentioned earlier about how vague it is intellectual property. Well, that can be almost anything. Personal right. identifiable information. I mean, that's that can be anything. So what's going to happen is people can start saying, you know, how identity theft is an issue now, but it can go to a whole other level of like, oh, they stole my Facebook post or some a link that I, you know, whatever. It can just be something Precisely. ridiculous, and it'll be well, seen yeah, as a crime. It, exactly, and that's the biggest thing about this is now that I mean, uh, uh, it, it, the vagary of this thing. Shows okay. Vagary is that a word? <laughs> vagary, vagity, something the vagueness? like that. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, vagueness. anyway, go Anyways. on. So, same thing with SOPA. The smallest amount of copyrighted material. Say you have a picture of, you know, Pikachu as your 
uh, profile picture on Facebook or Twitter. Jail. (laughs) Under this law, depending who wants to do it, it is perfectly legal for that picture of Pikachu as your profile picture to be labeled under a bill that is considered cyber crime against the government. Now that picture of Pikachu is a is a federal crime, a, a, a government crime. So that's exactly how much of a problem it is. You know, they leave it vague and people say, oh, they would never do that. They would never do that. Well, yeah, probably not. You, All you guys out there with Pikachu as your profile picture, you're <laughs> probably safe. Okay. But the point is that it is now legal to do so. Right. If they wanted to, if the creator of Pikachu just had a really bad day and wanted to pick on you, it is completely legal and you would have to go to court and fight it. And that's where we're at. Right. You know, it is the slow degradation of these freedoms. It doesn't matter if you don't think it's going to happen or if it's so small that it doesn't, you know, they'll probably never catch you for it. The fact is that it's legal and it's wrong. And so this is something that's very important to everybody. Um, So I just beg of you, go sign this petition. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, allegedly the Recording Industry Association of America, as well as the Motion Picture Association of America have also helped kind of write this bill um, and and had an influence on what it can do and, and the control that they want to have over open free media. Um, um, and it brings up um, something we discussed a little bit, I think, on the first episode about Anonymous. Um, you know, if what because what we uh, what is seen as a crime is basically being determined by the government uh you know what anonymous is doing can be kind of turned against them and how they're you know talking about hacking uh pentagon and stuff like that um well that's yeah go ahead that that's that's a problem um that's coming up now and it's a it's a big issue with uh you know anonymous supporters or sympathizers or whatever you want to call them is now that they've hidden this SOPA-esque um, material into a bill that is um, geared toward government security, now we're having to deal with the mixture of, you know, anonymous hacktivism, um, making statements and fighting for a free internet. Well, now they've sort of flipped the tables on anonymous. And um, it's become a, a, a kind of an issue uh, regarding are is anonymous hacking you know helping out still is it still making um, the you know making the difference that they were they were set out to do and keeping in mind that anonymous is not an organized institution these right. are individuals that are all part of sort of the same mindset well, but and that's something we're all having to deal with yeah and using your Pikachu analogy, if the, you know, Motion Picture Association of America is behind this, they can say, oh, you know that logo everyone's using to identify oh. Anonymous, anyone who has that logo, go arrest them because they're... I know, the Guy Fox mask. Yeah, Guy that's, Fox mask. That's an issue. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's owned by, I think, Warner Brothers or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and and 
did he have something else to go off? Of no, not. I mean, not really. It's just I think it's just kind of an interesting topic of of. I mean, yeah, we can sign a petition. We can, you know, try to fight this thing. It just seems like ultimately it's going to crack down. Like they're going to get their wish one way or another, and you know, like you mentioned, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how with with every kind of system like this that gets put in place there's always false flag terrorism right so right. well here's here's the thing is yeah when when you start talking about a lot of things like the one world government and and these sort of secret plans going on and the manipulativeness of the government and and SOPA and all, and uh CISPA now and everything like that you start to get a little dis, disheartened um, having to fight this all the time, but you know we need to make sure that we we keep a firm heart on this because SOPA was defeated. SOPA was smacked down by the internet as a community. Yeah, you know, as a community, we took it down, and it happened, and it was actually a a weird moment for me, you know, because it was an awakening. I think. That just shows it showed us our own power as the internet, but it also showed them. And I think that was the biggest part. When Congress and the people in charge suddenly realized that the internet can come to a halt at the sheer whim of the masses, I think that was a very scary thing for them. And I think that made them step it up and start to get a little bit more sneaky with the whole thing. But with that in mind, I would definitely um, not lose heart in the fight because this is a fight that is too important to uh, to just give up. This is something these if you think about it, our rights on the internet, our freedom on the internet will be and and is right now the last place where you are truly free, you know, with the exception of some certain um, certain guidelines but the, you know our freedoms NDAA, um, and and everything else that's happening in the U.S. and around the world, the crackdown, the global lockdowns that are happening. You know we are losing rights left and right in in, in the physical realm here, but you know the internet is the last place where freedom truly does reign. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's something that we all need to band together, and we need to make sure that we don't lose heart. And that's something that we need to fight in whatever way we can, even if it's just tweeting about it, even just retweeting about it, yeah. something like that, something as small as that, because it is the masses that really count in this fight. Yeah. And, you know, it really does look like we're living in a brave new world, you know, not so much 1984, where it's yeah. kind of ruled by fear, per se. It's more just kind of this sneaky, I don't know. Whoa. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's really funny because that was always a that was always a thing was, you know, there's the people who like 1984 better and there's the people that like Brave New World better. I was always on the Brave New World side. So it's kind of interesting to see that the the world we're living in now is um starting to resemble that one a little bit more. Right. Um uh, All right, so you had um a situation happen to you and it's funny how we keep having these conversations and then we keep having experiences that kind of reflect, right. you know, firsthand accounts of this type of, uh, you know, behavior, I guess you can call it, um, of these crackdowns. But, um, why don't you tell us what happened? Um, right. 
Well, uh, well, another big thing that's happening right now that people are just inflamed over is uh, Netflix and their new Super Pack to um, this, you know, it, it, that they've created in order to fund certain politicians or uh, you know spend money on lobbyists to uh, promote this um, crackdown on the internet. Now Netflix has just gotten involved. You know, you look at their records and their their money that they've spent on lobbyists has just risen enormously. Um, in 2011, they since they spent like a half a million dollars or something compared to like ten thousand dollars that they had spent a few years ago. Now, um, with, with this big, the big thing with Netflix is, you know, there's this thing, uh, and Anonymous is leading the charge on this, it, which is uh, boycott Netflix, Operation Boycott Netflix. So people are just storming the gates here and getting rid of their Netflix um, accounts, and, and it's really starting to hurt. Well, so I jumped on the boat here and I went to Netflix and, you know, I don't really watch Netflix that much, but I have an account. Um, I mean, eight bucks a month. Who wouldn't just hold that down just for whatever type of media you want to go watch? We'll just go do it. Well, I show up and I log into my Netflix account and I don't know what it was, but I go to my account settings and it uh, gives me an error saying that, yeah, the, uh, the web page was either overloaded or it's under maintenance. And this happened all afternoon. I was trying to erase my Netflix and they just wouldn't let me do it. There's just no way to do it. You know, either it's overloaded because everybody was rushing to get rid of their accounts or it was under maintenance because they're trying to slow down, you know, people jumping ship. You will not it was just... leave Netflix. <laughs> exactly. And Netflix I owns you now. <laughs> a terrible, terrible feeling that these people had my credit card information and they were not letting me go. Yeah. Um, so it's it sort of like a really clingy girlfriend. You know, she just <laughs> went go no matter what. So I, I, I mean, and I took a, uh, I took a screenshot of the thing cause I just thought it was so funny and uh, we'll post that and we'll, so, so I, again, another thing everybody can do to fight the uh, the lockdown on freedom for the internet is go to Netflix, take the plunge, get rid of your account, show them that we're not going to tolerate, um, you know, tolerate anybody. Not we cannot tolerate a single company, not a single person who is fighting for the crackdown of the internet, especially someone as big as Netflix, because. If you, people are getting, um, giving their support to Netflix, then that is just, uh, it's just playing with fire. So I'll recommend everybody go do that. Hopefully, you're able to get into your account settings and get rid of your, your account. So. And this this is a topic that, you really have to start having the conversation with, coworkers, with um, family, friends, people in your community, because, whether they think it or not, it's going to affect all of us. And, you know, the free open internet has been something that has exploded in the last decade and everyone's so used to it. Um, it's going to feel, well, let me rephrase it. It, it. When things are growing, it always feels good. But anytime it starts to get taken away or things get ripped out, it's, it's going to be, there's going to have, there's going to be negative it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable and it's not going to be, you know, a complete end of everything, but, um, it, it is going to 
cause your daily life to change. <laughs> and as uncomfortable as that sounds, it's part of, I think, what all of us are going to eventually start going through. And, and this is the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's nothing. Right. This is nothing compared to some of the things that we may see um, in our lifetime. So, you know. Well, that's the thing is you're not going to start gaining these freedoms back. As soon right. as they have those freedoms of yours, you are not getting them back. Yeah. Do not think that it's going to get better after you give them this and they're going to lay off because you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting that this kind of intellectual war, you know, a cyber war happening um, is so subtle because it's just people behind a computer. But at the same time, we can use this opportunity to really inform others of, of greater threats, you know, not just the, the open free internet, but, you know, more important stuff. If there is going to be, you know, a military lockdown, that's, that's a lot more real in your face, physical stuff that's happening uh, than the internet, but it's a great stepping stone to help people wake up to some of these issues. Um, right. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said before, you guys need to share this. This needs to be something that everybody needs to know about. Even if you just have one friend, 10 friends, 10 followers, 17 followers, or a thousand followers, tweet about it. It needs to get out there. You know, Facebook, put a post, you know, yeah. it's not something that you can just fall by the wayside. Yeah. And you use the actual medium that is trying to basically, you know, suffocate us. And, and and use it against them, you know. I think with Twitter and Facebook, especially, those are two big. They're they're you know they're very much it's open right now, but they can very much, very quickly turn against the people that are using it. So yeah, well they'll they'll be the first ones you'll lose your your freedoms on. So just keep that in mind. And um, so yeah, cool. So um, if you guys have any like extra comments or questions or. Uh, thoughts on any of this stuff, feel free to email us at um, canarycryradio at gmail.com. And um, with your permission, we would be happy to read your email and uh, address any questions or good comments or good thoughts or anything like that. Um, Absolutely. And um, we would love to hear your comments on the website. Um, also, make sure to tweet to, a, tweet to us at, uh, at canarycryradio um, on Twitter follow us we'll follow you we want to make sure we're all informed and interconnected there and you can also find us on facebook Just search for canary cry radio yeah and our i guess you can friend us uh, canary cry is the the name the, the i guess the personal account that's attached to the public page i don't do facebook so i'm like <laughs> learning how to do all this stuff and i'm like well i don't i don't get it but anyway um Right, and go like our fan page too. Press like, get your friends, share the share the word, tell your friends about the podcast, and we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, it'd be it'd be sweet for you to do. And um, yeah, so let's let's jump into some of the ghost stuff because we want to have a good balance of you know tangible ghost political ghost, stuff ghost. with uh, a little more of the supernatural. And um, you know, we haven't touched a whole lot on Supernatural. I don't think we have at all, really, in, in this podcast. Uh, but not an, not as much as we would like to. Yeah, we're we're gonna try to cover all the bases here, and um, we want to talk ghosts today because I think, um, you know, it's it's kind of a, a topic that's really popular in in media right now. You have a lot of ghost hunting shows. You have a lot of 
um, you know, at least when I was a kid, you know, you had Ghostbusters and, you know, Ghost has always kind of been in the fabric of, you know, American culture, at least in the last, you know, at least since television media and stuff got really big. Right. Um, so, you know, from, from our perspective of, of a biblical Christian worldview, um, the topic of ghosts is pretty interesting because it is something that is addressed um, in the Bible. And so the the first thing we have to do is ask the question, what is a ghost? And so, you know, if you, if you want to say a ghost is a spiritual being, then absolutely. You know, I think spiritual beings exist. I, I think uh, Basil ba- agrees with that mostly, right? That there right. are spiritual yeah. beings. Um, but most uh, dictionaries, most um, definitions of a ghost is the spirit of a dead person, of a dead human being. And sometimes it could be dead animals or, you know, whatever. But most of the time it's, it's dead human beings. And from the biblical worldview, there are no such things as dead people. Well, there's, well that's a really bad way to put it. There are <laughs> lots of dead people, but there are no dead people who are around as spirits walking around, you know, like a lot of these shows, uh, there was a show with, um, Jennifer Love Hewitt. I can't remember the name of the show. The ghost whisperer. Yes. That's the one where <laughs> she's the one that helps all the ghosts move on from their problems and move into the light and all this stuff that, that stuff I don't think happens. Um, and one and there's of the, really not a lot to, to, uh, support that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's most of a, it's sort those of ideas. It's sort of a fantasy. Yeah, that uh, that people have created, um, you know, for whatever reason. Right. So it begs the question, though, if, if these spirits are not dead people, then what's going on when mediums and spiritists and psychics and all these different, you know, people who claim to have uh, a conversation or a connection or a communication with the dead, what's really going on? And um, it's a really interesting topic because it seems like these, you know, dead grandpa or whatever has very vital information that is private that can only be seen by you and, or is known by you. And so it kind of validates like, Oh, it's really him or it's really her or whatever. Right. But you know, uh, from, again, from the biblical worldview, there are obviously good spirits and angels and stuff, but there are also deceiving spirits. And all indications are that these spirits are actually deceiving spirits, that they're demonic entities. And um, one example that we see in the Bible that really clearly states this is actually in a uh, – it's not a parable. It's it's a story um, that's found in uh, the book of Luke – Chapter 16, 19 through 31, it's um, a story about Lazarus, Lazarus, who was uh, a poor dude and um, a rich man who was a rich dude. And, you know, they both live their lives and, you know, they kind of go about their day and Lazarus, like nobody wants to touch Lazarus because, you know, he's, he's poor and he's, you know, I think he was a leper. Was he a leper? I don't remember. He was, he was probably a dirty dude. A dirty dude, yeah. So, I mean, he's he was a beggar. I mean, he had sores on his body and stuff. So people didn't want to really deal with him. But the rich dude, you know, everyone wanted to be the rich dude and, and you know, 
be a part of his. Well, anyway, they both die. And um, the rich dude finds himself in Hades, in the torment of Hades is what, um, what is described there. And he sees in distant uh, Lazarus with Abraham, who is one of the old prophets of the Old Testament. And, you know, Lazarus kind of looks and says like, hey, you know, I want to be on, I want to be over there with you and, and whatnot. And it's like, and Abraham's like, no, you know, there's a big gulf and, you know, stuff was decided before, you know, in the time of living, this and that. And so basically the, the idea of um, how it relates to ghosts in, in this instance is that um, uh, the rich man at the end says to Abraham, you know, is there a way you can uh, warn my brothers? Okay, I have five, five brothers. If you can somehow um, if let me message them or have somebody tell them that this torment is just horrible. They need to, to, to do something about it. You know, is there a way we can do that? And Moses or uh, Abraham basically says, you know, you got the prophets, you got Moses. If, if they're not going to listen to them, they're not going to listen to anybody. And right. at the end of that, you know, basically it's summarizing the fact that, no, the dead really can't speak to us after they're, after they die. There's no communication going on there. And so, on their own, on their on own, a, on a sort of an individual basis. Yeah. Like so, so you can't just like be dead walking around and like, you know, come back and say, Hey, you they know. go to very specific places once, once that happens right. and they're not, they're not really free to just kind of roam around and do whatever they want. Right, right, right. So, you know, and this goes into a whole topic that, um, a, a, an actual video that I'm planning to do on, uh, the doctrine of hell and death and stuff, but I'm, I'm working on it. It's going to take a while, but so yeah, that's that's one example, and the more profound stuff is, um, you know, some of these shows like Ghost Ghost Hunters. Uh, my wife and I watched Ghost Hunters for several years, and you know, I didn't even really ask the question like what those spirits were for the first year. Or so it was just like, whoa, there's really some like interesting stuff going on. We know that some of it is hoax, you know, or hoaxes, or you know, it's a TV show, so it's like you got to have some sensationalism going on. You know, sometimes it's like. Right. You hear something drop and it's like, oh, <laughs> and people no, freak it was, out. Yeah, it was, it's, it's grandpa. It's, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, um, but then I started kind of asking like, you know, what, what is really going on there? Like what, if these, because the way they portray it in a lot of these shows is, oh, you know, there was a man named, you know, whatever, George. And, uh, you know, so if you're George tap twice or whatever, and then there's like two taps or whatever, it's like, oh, that's George, you know? So they're trying to like portray it as like, oh, there's just people, you know, they're just in a different form now. They're, they're safe. They're not here to harm you. And the question is, how do we know? How do we really know that it's who they say they are? Yeah. And that's even something that a lot of, um, of the ghost hunting shows that even bring up not in the right context, I think, but there, I mean, there are ghost hunters and ghost people who talk about ghosts who are sort of just lie. They just sort of lie to you or they sort of just mess with you, you know, the sort of poltergeist type thing. And, um, I think that is a, an oversimplified explanation, um, to, you know, to the whole problem of deceptive spirits that they're trying to to get in contact with. Right, and and the reason why we go to the to the 
scriptures, the ancient, these ancient scriptures to, you know, determine what these are is because it's the only document that really tells us like, Hey, watch out for these spirits. You know, here's a way you can test them. Like it kind of just gives us a way to actually know what's going on rather than just going by our own intuition or our own right. emotions, because that's when we get drawn in and, Oh, you know, I lost, um, you know, someone close to me, they came back, they spoke to me and, you know, oh, precisely. Cause, because pe people have been exploring the spiritual realm and ghosts and things like this for forever, forever. Yeah. You know, we think that now because we have, you know, the, the EVPs and the machines and the, the, the magnetic field readers and things like that, that now we finally get to explore this, this sort of other realm. Well, that's, that's completely false because um, for, for, for ever the human race has been um, in one way or another be getting in contact with the spirit realm, trying to talk to entities beyond the veil, things like that. So it, it's really... Uh, it's really big headed of modern man to think that we are the ones making these huge leaps when it comes to, you know, going behind quote unquote the veil. Yeah. And it's interesting how you can't really scientifically measure these things. And obviously if they're non-material, it's going to, you know, but what they're trying to do is make it scientific. Oh, there's a spike in magnetic field or a cold spot temperature goes down. So they're, they're, they're starting to kind of do things like that to show and AVPs are a really big one. Uh, I think it is interesting that they catch voices. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them are a lot more profound than others. Some of them are just like that, you know, and other ones are actual sentences and, and, you know, uh, intelligent words and stuff like that, that seem to indicate that there is some kind of intelligent mind there. Um, but it, it goes into the question of contacting spirits and, um, again, I'm going to point to the ancient scriptures here. And there's a book called Samuel. In the first book of Samuel, chapter 28, there's a whole section called The Witch of Endor. And um, you guys can uh, pick up a, a, a Bible and, you know, check it out for yourself. It's actually, you know, it's pretty cool how, you know. You can Google stuff. it too. Yeah, you can Google. You can get on Welcome online. to the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that'll be taken away too. Anyway. Um, so basically uh, – a couple things there. Um, so Saul goes and meets a spiritist or a medium is what they call it. And um, so there's a couple different theories of this actual occasion. Uh, Saul uh, tells the witch to conjure up Samuel because Samuel had recently passed away. And, um, and she says, I see a spirit. Now the word spirit in the original Hebrew is Elohim. And, if you have, um, you know, if you have any knowledge about uh, Hebrew or Christian kind of lingo, if you will, of, of some of the original language, you know that Elohim, a lot of people think is the word for God and one of the words for God. And it is, uh, but it actually is used many times and it really actually just describes a spiritual being or a divine being. And um, it's a whole nother rabbit trail. But if you uh, study the work of Dr. Michael Heiser and you study, uh, um, and I think his website is Dr. Michael Heiser or MikeHeiser.com or something. We'll, we'll link it in the show notes, but he has done extensive work on this, um, on the divine council and talks about gods and talks about, and, and gods in, in the plural sense, but he calls them divine beings because he doesn't want people to think that he's actually promoting polytheism, which is not the case. 
Um, but there does seem to be kind of a, a group of these spiritual entities that uh, are not necessarily angels per se, um, but but they but they exist and they're out there and a lot of them are um, deceivers. You know, they they try to deceive humankind. And so anyway, so there's two different theories of well, this. Yeah, oh, just real quick, just just to give notice to that. I mean. Even Lucifer himself was the angel of light and right. the the greatest deceiver that has ever existed in the history of the universe. Right. So to to a lot a lot of times you hear the word divine and you think oh it's got to be on the good side, you know. Right. But you know even Lucifer was divine at one yeah, point. Yeah, he's a divine you, being. Exactly. And so so when you hear the word divine, don't think necessarily that it's you know, on the light side of the force. Right. Which, and, and again, Dr. Michael Heiser is probably the best authority on this, but he actually, uh, has a PDF document out there that talks about the word Nikesh for the word, uh, that's used to describe the serpent in the garden. And he talks about how it's not actually talking about a snake. It's actually talking about, uh, uh, the shining one Nikesh. Huh. So it's, it's very interesting that, Yes, you know, the one of the translations is serpent, but if you use the adjective form of the word, it actually means a shining one. So anyway. Right. Uh, well, which I think was not a mistake by the users of the Hebrew language. The, no. The Hebrew language is an extremely poetic and um, intentional language where two meetings will be correct. Right. At, you know. And it I could hope. very much well be the Eng English rendering that – you know, well, yeah. you know, shining one doesn't sound right. We'll make it a snake. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, okay. So there's back to the Samuel, witch of Endor. So there's two possibilities here going on. Uh, the witch sees the spirit of Samuel and she freaks out. She screams and she says, Oh, and, but I was, and I, and I've heard this theory that the witch saw Samuel, the real Samuel come up who had died earlier. And, um, this idea that God allowed Samuel to appear to warn or to tell Saul basically his fate. And that, that was, that was a theory that I heard, you know, I think a year ago or so, maybe a little bit longer ago. And I thought that's very interesting, but I was reading it again today and I'm kind of wondering if it really was a deceiving spirit because it, it, when you, when you read the passage and go and read first Samuel 28, which of Endor, when you read through it, um, Saul, when he first walks in, is kind of disguised. He doesn't come in as Saul, the king, of, uh, because he doesn't want her to freak out. Because before that, Saul eliminated all the mediums and spiritists and everybody else from the land. So, right. you know, if, if she saw that Saul came in, she thought, I'm dead. You know, this guy is going to kill me because I'm a spiritist and, you know. So, yeah. so he kind of went in disguised. So when you read the passage, it seems like she freaks out because um, she realizes that it's Saul, not some random guy. And yeah. so, and so my, and, and, and when you read what uh, Samuel, the spirit says to Saul, it basically lays out his fate. Like you rejected God. Um, so you're going to die. You're going to be here with me. And I'm, this is just theory because it's kind of, you know, I, I don't know exactly the and I'm sure there's a lot of commentary on this at the, uh, you know, the high levels of theology. But um, and just my kind of passing reading through this today, I, I considered the fact that maybe it was a deceiving spirit, 
And what it was doing was telling Saul, you know, you lost faith in God, you're done, you're going to die. And just kind of putting the nail in the coffin of his faith instead of like, you know what? Yeah, you know, I screwed up and I messed up, but I'm just going to continue relying on God. Um, He kind of just, you know, he weeps and stuff afterwards because he's like, oh, it's over, it's over, kind of losing all hope. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning in that direction of like, maybe it was a deceiving spirit telling Saul, um, you know, quote unquote truth, but it's kind of twisted truth. Like, like, uh, the truth that is going to end up in his destruction type thing instead True. of like, Hey, you can turn around right now and you can just, you know, I know that it'd be, you know, Saul earlier and I'm kind of all over the place here, but Saul earlier had, uh, tried to, and the reason why he was seeing the spiritist was because he had tried to ask God to give him some kind of sign to, yeah. to, to see what to do because the Philistine army army was coming up and you know, the Philistines, they were big, scary Nephilim army basically. Right. Um, and so he didn't know what to do. And so he tried to ask God, God didn't tell him anything. So he said, well, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I'm going to go ask the witch. Right. And so that's why he was there. Right. And, um, yeah, and I mean, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, which I think is another funny little um, connection here. Now, to say all that is not to say, at least in my opinion, that God could not have let Samuel come right. and deliver a message. Right, right, right. That is not to say that. But the very fact that, um, for instance, Samuel says, why hast thou disquieted me? Or why have you woken me up? Or why have you brought me up? Right. Um, is interesting because we already know that that's not quite how it works. Yeah. It's, you're, you know, he's not necessarily coming up from anywhere. His body is not raising. His soul is not coming up out of the ground or out of Hades or anything like that. So it's an interesting detail that leads to perhaps it was not necessarily authentic. Right. Um, now, so I, it, in my mind, the uh, it's not quite as clear that it was a de- deceiving spirit. Right, and that's that's it, why it's kind of up for debate. You know, it's one true. of those passages it's that it's up, like, huh. Because you like to think, you like to think that um, – you know, God would would sort of be like, oh, okay, so really you're just going to go see this necromancer? Right. That is, that's what you really <laughs> want to do. Okay, fine. Let me give you the message then, you know, and and send uh, uh, Samuel down, down to do that. But there's so many little nuances of the whole situation um, that really – really do put it up for debate. I mean, the the version that I'm looking at here calls the witch a necromancer, meaning raiser of the dead. And, you know, the whole, why have you basically, why are you waking me up? Well, that's not, at least in my understanding of the biblical principle of the afterlife, you know, you're not sleeping, you're not dead, you're not just taking a nap after you die. You have things going on. Right. Well, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> it is debatable. There's that, that's, that's a whole nother episode. Yeah. Yeah. We can go down that rabbit trail and right. never end. 
So yeah, so it's just more to just add to the debate, and I'm sure we can um, go on for that forever. If we yeah, want. and and you know how this relates, and I think tying this into uh, everything New World Order. And if you're listening and you're not a Christian, and you're like these people are nuts, what are you talking about? It's okay right. because because if you li- if you're listening to this, you have some sense of like you know global government and all this stuff. How this relates to that is very interesting because a lot of the ideologies of a new world order, that particular phrase comes from authors um, from early in the 20th century who claimed to have spirits tell them to write what they're writing. Um, Right. The Freemasons and the Illuminati, everybody take their cues from these quote unquote spirits from the past that give them, um, I mean, among angels and things like that, that give them uh, information, the, the plan for the future and right. the information and the, you know, things like that. Yeah, and it's really interesting because the whole New Age movement talks about ascended masters, these higher spiritual beings, um, and, and you know, who are they? How do you know? Uh, you know, uh, kind of tying it back to a little bit of some of the commentary I've been getting with um, the Age of Deceit film, people have come out and said, you know, listen to Jordan Maxwell and um, David Icke and, um, you know, those two guys are telling the truth. Well, I, you know, uh, if you if you know anything about any of this stuff, um, you know, Chris White has done plenty of, of research to show uh, the faulty information of David Icke and how, you know, his whole agenda is partially good in that it's trying to expose a lot of this Illuminati and global governance and all this stuff. But then at the same time, he's talking about, well, you know, these spirits, they won't leave me alone. So I just said, I'll do whatever you want and not really test them or not really know if they're, you know, in it for the best interest of, of him or, you know, you have no idea. That's a really dangerous game to be playing. So, that's why we always point back to something like um, the, the ancient scriptures here that are kind of concrete. And it's like, no, here's what's going on. Here's what you can do so you won't be deceived. Um, and, and, you know, another one is Alice Bailey. Obviously, we can kind of have a whole show on her um, and her, her work uh, called The Externalization of the Hierarchy, which... Um, I tried to read, uh, for, for the research of the film, but she has a whole chapter called how to, let's not the exact title, but something to the effect of like, you know, how to create a new world order. (laughs) It's like, okay, it's pretty obvious there. And she's one of those people that claimed to have channeled a spirit while she was writing all of her material. So, you know, even if you don't necessarily believe in that stuff, it's really important for you to realize and recognize that because yeah, go it ahead. is. It, it is where the whole new world order thing is coming, uh, coming from. The Illuminati and the Freemasons are very much occultist uh, sort of spirit-seeking um, organizations. Now, even whether you believe in the spirit realm or not, those are the types of people. Those are the people who are taking cues um, from this sort of um, other realm about how to basically control the world. Yeah. How to do these things. And yeah, another interesting point is that 
you know, we talk about Satan and Lucifer as kind of this ruling, deceiving spirit. And he actually offered uh, Jesus during his temptation uh, the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll give them all to you if you worship me. And it's one of those things, it's like, wait a minute, I'll give them to you? Like, what do you mean? Like, you own them or you have some kind of authority over them? Right. And this uh, concept of authority is very interesting as well because it seems like with, like, demonic possession or demonic attacks or uh, even, like, ghost hauntings and, and, you know, conjuring spirits and stuff, it seems like they don't have the capacity to just, like, show up. They can't just be like, hey, what's up? I'm a ghost or, you know, a demon. I'm going to, you know, mess with you. There has to be some kind of uh, portal or spiritual um, opening that is made by us. Like we right. are willingly doing it. And, you know, they, a, they need to be invited. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be legal authority for them to come in. And so that's where, you know, Ouija boards, um, satanic rituals or any kind of rituals and, um, you know, things like that are very, very dangerous because you you might be you know, tapping into some areas that you really don't want to. Um, it's almost like be careful what you wish for. Yeah. If you want to contact a, a spirit from the, the other side, keep in mind that you're opening up a door for literally any spirit that wants to walk in and do its deal. Um, you know, when you open yourself up to that, it, it's just a whole new can of worms that is just a, you know, it's something that is not to be taken lightly. Right. And I want to um, tell you guys a little bit about this guy named Dave who emailed me with um, some photographs and uh, I have his permission to post some of these photographs. So we'll, we'll post it um, in the show notes and you guys can check him out. And, you know, he, he gave me his whole testimony and he was kind of a staunch atheist and he, uh, you know, didn't believe in the supernatural, didn't believe in any of that stuff. Um, but one day, you know, uh, he, one of the things he wanted to do was go visit tunnels. Um, and he's out in the UK and, um, he basically went and checked out these tunnels and, and I'm not going to get the full story, right. But you know, I'll get the general idea. Um, but basically he went out and checked out these tunnels. I think he was with, um, his wife is a good friend. Um, and, uh, like his brother or something like that, just, just close, you know, a small group. And he took some pictures of the tunnels. And when he came back, uh, some of the images he captured were quite interesting to say the least. Um, could they be pure coincidence? Sure. You know, a lot of these, uh, pictures and evidence, quote unquote evidence you have for a lot of these things could be tampered with, could be fake, whatever. But, um, he, the interesting thing is that he has, one, uh, a piece of one of his images looks exactly like, um, a, a drawing made by Aleister Crowley when he conjured up his spirit back in the, uh, early 1900s, he did this right. huge satanic ritual and he, right. and it was like a really dangerous one or whatever. So he did all this stuff and he, um, conjured the spirit named lamb and he actually made a sketch of lamb. And when you look at this this kind of image of, of the, that Dave took in the tunnels, this face just looks kind of like Lamb. You know, it's kind of got this, and it, it kind of looks like um, a, a, a gray, head. yeah, like a big bulbous head. You can see kind of the eyes and the nose. 
it's actually kind of cre- creepy to look at a little bit. If you like zoom in, it's like, whoa, yeah, dude, that's kind you, of a face. It makes you a little bit uncomfortable to look yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's, so if you're kind of, you know, if you're not really, you know, if you're weak and you don't, not weak, but like, you know, if you, if you just feel <laughs> like you're, you know, you know what I mean? If you, if you're not uh, like good with that stuff, you may want to, you know, not see these pictures, but, um, we'll have them there for you to check out. Um, along, alongside Alistair's, uh, sketch yeah, there. So sketch of lamb. Yeah. And so continuing on Dave's story, Dave came home and he started having poltergeist like experiences in his house where stuff would fly across, you know, the room and, and, you know, you've heard all these, ta- I mean, poltergeist activity has been around for ages. You know, they've all always had reports of this throughout human history. So it's nothing new. Um, but, you know, all these things were flying around in his house, you know, TV turning on and off, um, you know, lights going out, uh, various things going on. Um, and so, you know, he's like, well, he had to do something, you know. Um, right. And so... I think even if you're an atheist, I think if you see a book fly off the shelf, I think something changes, you know, you're like, well, you know, something might be going on. Yeah, precisely. And even on a personal note for myself to hear those sort of things happening, I actually had some similar experiences in my youth and even up until recently. So to hear the same and and we'll get into those. I'll tell my story a little bit later in another episode, but um, to hear the same sort of testimony coming from um, another person where some of the exact same things are happening um, is really encouraging in one way and uh, empowering to know that I'm just not insane. And, <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, you know, very, very intriguing that this is uh, something, an occurrence that is, um, is repeatable. If you want to talk about making something science, one of the big things about science is a, is a repeatable occurrence or a repeatable experiment, things like that. And so, um, it really adds a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, intrigue, intrigue and things like that to it, at Questions. least on my point of view. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. And so to finish up Dave's story, he basically, uh, you know, he, he didn't know what to do. He asked, uh, I think like a local, Catholic priest to come in and, and he threw around some holy water or something like that. And it did nothing. Um, and he, Surprise. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> eventually he, um, decided to, um, I'm going to use Christian lingo here. He decided to give his life to the Lord and, um, accept Jesus as his personal savior. And that's when everything stopped. So whatever for that, whatever that's worth, worth for, you know, some of you right. people that may not, you know, be Christians out there. That's, it's 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 a personal testimony, but it's profound, and it's not the only one. There's a lot of them out there, and Are we back? We're back. So we're back. Very interesting that we were talking about how Dave was saved and um, this whole thing happened. And right then and there, my 
DAW, which stands for, for your insiders out there, Digital Audio Workstation, crashed completely. And we thought we lost the show. And luckily, we didn't lose the show. So, yeah, hallelujah. Geez. Well, that's what we get for uh, revealing the secrets of, you know, the poltergeist and how to get rid of them. Secrets of iniquity. We are exposing the dark spiritual forces, and this is what we get. <laughs> um, but, you know, essentially we were kind of at the end of the story. Dave gets saved, um, and I know Dave's listening, so um, just want to say thanks to Dave and um, sending us the pictures and check those photos out. You know, tell us what you yeah, think really. you see. There's he circled a lot of stuff that he sees. Um, there's a couple things that I didn't see. He circled something that looked said he looked like a dog or something. Um, I didn't goat. see the dog and <laughs> goat, which is probably more appropriate. Yeah, well, well, that just about wraps it up, everybody. So thanks for tuning in to uh, yet another episode of Canary Cry Radio. If you're on Twitter, make sure to follow us at Canary Cry Radio. If you're on Facebook, go ahead and uh. Follow us there and like our fan page. Um, make sure to tell your friends and uh, be sure to leave comments and, and interact here in the comments section. Take a look at the photos, take a look at the drawing, and tell us what you think. Yeah, and we, uh, we, we don't have a single comment yet in any of our of our uh, Canary Cry Radio posts at the website, so be the first one. And also email ooh, us because you I, can uh, email us at canarycryradio at gmail.com. Oh, yeah, see, there you go. All right, guys. Well, we love to hear from you. So uh, go ahead and uh, make contact. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. And make sure to come back and hear more in the coming weeks. Have a good one. Bye. (laughs) I'll leave that in there.